0: Uh, So we are in the middle of uh, the cycle series, looking at the cycle of sin, slavery, and salvation in the book of Judges, and specifically in the story of Gideon, Uh, and last week I taught looking at kind of that pinnacle scene in Gideon's story where God delivers the Israelites from the Midianites. It's this amazing uh, moment and display of God's power, but we start to see hints of Gideon's uh, lack of trust in God's strength, and we start to see that Gideon's... uh, character arc is going to start sloping downward. And so today we see some of the results of uh, Gideon's lack of trust in God's strength. And so teaching uh, what I think is the one text of the, the semester that I did not want to teach personally is Ronnie Cordray. So I handed that one off to my boss. Uh, so Ronnie, you can come on out here. Uh, Ron. If you don't know, Ronnie is uh, the men's ministry leader here. Uh, I get to work for him uh, and... Yeah, I'm super excited that he's here this morning with us and that he's going to be teaching this text instead of me.
1: I'm super excited to blame you if this bombs today. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair.
0: So uh, a lot of this room knows you already as the men's minister. Not much of this room knows you as our dad. So I think that's an aspect of Ronnie's life that we don't quite have access to yet I want to know more about not Ronnie the men's minister but Ronnie the dad so you have three kids I do can you tell us a little bit more about your family
1: yeah so Tish and I have been married 21 years and have three kids Ella turns 16 next Tuesday Kinsley's 13 and Grayson is nine and my urologist says we're done okay okay
0: Okay. Uh, What is one tradition that you have with your kids?
1: Hmm. So back when Ella was getting ready to go into kindergarten, I told my wife, I had read a couple books on what daughters need and from their dads, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters by Meg Meeker. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I said, we do a lot of stuff as a family, which is great. But I said, I'd like to start once a summer and alternate each summer Every three years, to take one one kid with me, for like a two three day trip, just daddy daughter, daddy son, and fortunately I've got a supportive spouse that was wife that said I think that's a great idea, and so started that and um, it has been the sweetest. It's, it requires intentionality. It costs money, but doesn't have to cost a ton of money. A lot a lot of trips have been like an overnighter to Kings Island, but like I sit there and I think, man, I. I talked the night before Kings Island with Ella about baptism Mm -hmm. at her request. And I remember she was like, you know, I've been waiting till this trip to ask you about this. And so I just look at some really impactful um, conversations that have happened all because of carving that space out. My kids get excited about it. I get excited about it. And so that's something I think every dad in here could do at some level. And for clarity, it's one kid, per year, like it's every third summer now, they they get another turn, so. That's cool. And speaking of Go Ministries, all three of my kids know, like, before they graduate high school, their last trip with me, uh, my goal is to take each of them with me to Go Ministries on this trip, so that'll be like the the super expensive one.
0: That's cool, that's really awesome, I like that a lot. Uh, If you had to choose one of your kids as your favorite, which one would you say is? (laughs)
1: based on last night that's easy okay but i'm not gonna say it out loud (laughs)
0: um okay so i don't have kids yet but if you had one piece of parenting advice for me before i even step into parenthood uh what would that be and maybe this room can benefit from it
1: man there's multiple things but i'd say the one that sticks out to me the most is to parent out of relationship which I'm challenged, that's my man challenge in this moment, because if I'm not careful, I can come home and, and be like, man, why are you doing that? And instead of like trying to catch them doing something to build them up and encourage them with. So that's, um, that's, a, that's an important thing. I've learned, I learned this past summer at a father-daughter camp that I took my oldest to just the different roles based on ages, like zero to five is your caregiver, five to 12 is your cop, in certain things and then from 12 to 17 you start needing to move to coach and then 17 and up is consultant which you need to be asked to be consultant but i mean it that was a eye-opener for me the the cop to coach i told my 15 year old i said i said i'm sorry like i've accidentally stalled out in cop mode and so we've been working on that so that's some framework but i'd also say ask other dads, like, don't, I think the enemy wants us to feel like, man, we got to act like we got this figured out. You know, Jim Gaffigan says, sometimes as a dad, um, I feel it over my head and I like to refer to those times as being awake. Like that's more not funny to me on most days than funny because I'm like, good grief. It's not easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think just knowing Ronnie, uh, and watching the way that you parent your kids, I think you are someone who naturally, uh, parents from relationship really well I think you also lead and pastor from relationship really really well and that's something I've been grateful for uh, working under Ronnie and working with him just seeing the way that uh, he lets his relationships with other people drive the ministry that he's doing and his parenting of his children I'm really encouraged by that
1: can I show one more thing that just hit me Mm -hmm. is also bringing your Bringing my kids along with me to things, even when it's work related, actually, especially work related, so that they get to actually just be with me. I think this past Saturday, I had the privilege to do a wedding in Warsaw, Kentucky, and um, I, I invited my 13-year-old Kinsley, and you know, I said, "Hey, we'll have a daddy-daughter date," and it's really it was her going and watching me do a wedding, but, but. I, I took her with me in with the bride and got the mothers, mother in laws, and the groom or the bridesmaids. And I and I on the way there, I said, "Hey, I said, say no unless you want to say yes." But I said, "I like to pray over the bride um, before the wedding and in front of." And I said, "Would you be okay?" And she knows this bride, like because we had had him over for dinner, so she got to know her a little bit, so it wasn't some stranger. Yeah. But I said, "Would you be would you be okay to to pray over Miss Jenna?" And then I'll I'll pray. And she goes. Can I get back to you on that? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, sure. But then we got ready to go into the room, and she said, she said okay, I'll do that. Yeah. To follow up, and again, don't hear this about Team Cordray, but the mother-in-law, um, the groom's mom, followed up and said, said something really meaningful to, to Kinsley. And then the bride, I talked to them the next day, and she said, when Kinsley prayed over me, that was honestly one of my favorite parts of the day. And I thought that would never have even been able to happen had I not just said, "Hey, Kinsley, come with me to the wedding," versus mm-hmm. me going by myself. And then just 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 a quarter of a you know quarter quarter turn to the right of thinking, "Hey, you want to be part of this prayer yeah, time too?" Yeah. So that's
0: really cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, if you, this is not a parenting related thing. But if you could be any Bible character or be like any Bible character, excluding Jesus, uh, who would it be and why? I'd, be,
1: I'd definitely be Goliath because he was <laughs> tall. Um, but up to the taunting David sure. part, up sure. to that part. I think that's fair. Now, Barnabas, he's okay. the guy, you know, I sit there and I think his name means son of encouragement. And I just look at like he was the one that through an encouraging spirit like, vouched for at the time Saul, Yeah. and I sit there and I think, man, Paul, you know, became Saul, like, one of the most influential men for the kingdom, and I, I just wonder, like, had Barnabas not gone to bat for him, would we even know who Paul is yeah. in that light? So I think encouragement's a big deal. I think that's cool,
0: and to know from your ministry, and I don't want to keep encouraging you because it's not very cool, and I'm taking seriously. Time. Take take your time. <laughs> but to see the people that you've raised up in ministry, I think mm-hmm. you've done that a lot, Mm -hmm. that you've even sent off uh, Paul to Canada just a couple weeks ago, knowing that you've um, been that Barnabas for a lot of different people is really Mm -hmm. sweet. Uh, So I'm gonna pray and then uh, we'll jump into our text today. Cool, thanks. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful uh, this morning for uh, Ronnie. I'm grateful for his leadership and his heart for you. I thought you were returning right there, Jesus. but uh, as long as you leave us here, Lord, I pray that uh, you would be with us, uh, drawing us closer to you. Um, and I just ask that this morning you would open up our hearts uh, to receive your word. I pray that you would speak through Ronnie. Um, yeah, God, and that you just bring about about the transformation in our lives that you wanna bring about, uh, and that you'd receive all the glory this morning, uh, that you'd be moving in our uh, table discussion, God, um, Yeah, just drawing each one of us closer to you and closer to one another for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's funny. Grant's more mature than me. He thinks the rapture's happening. I'm going, man, that burrito from last night is really acting up. So, you know, winning Rome. Hey, we're in Judges chapter 8 verses 1 to 21 this month, or this week, excuse me. Hopefully it won't feel that long. But we're going to be going through verses 1 to 21. And in the land of Ephraim, uh, there was a decent amount of hill country, and Scripture tells us at the end of Judges 7 that, um, that all of the men from all over the hill country came together not a single one of them dodged the draft in other words Gideon's request for help not not a single man from the hill country dodged dodged this request it says they all came together to fight against them this Midianite army who was completely disoriented and they were literally on the run and so all of the men not most, not some, all of the men of Ephraim rallied together and they took advantage of this opportunity capturing the two Midianite big dogs, uh the their army's two key commanders. And they didn't just capture these two men, they they cut off their heads. Now, I don't know what's up in the Old Testament in cutting off heads like not just death but like now your head has to come I, I don't know what's up with that, but apparently it was a thing in the old testament during war times. And before you go judgmental on, on us today or on Gideon in this army, you know, many of you do the same thing in two thousand twenty one. You've got um, remnants of furry heads hanging around your house and your office. So apparently it's still a thing in two thousand twenty one. But it says that they cut these two dudes these commanders heads off. And then they they bring these two heads to Gideon to show Gideon, and as though as they're almost to where Gideon is was, and you have to imagine these guys are pumped, uh, you know, for show and tell with Gideon, with these two heads. And it said, you know, one of the one of the guys happens to get an Instagram notification, and it's a post from Gideon. Now keep in mind, Gideon has the the blue check mark. He's verified. He's kind of a big deal. He's judge over all of Israel. So there's a lot of Israelites, you know, seeing his posts on Instagram. And this is what he posted: "My 300, the ultimate Israelite ninja warriors, strongest men I know." And then there's this picture of him and his 300. And there's this picture that goes along with his caption. And these guys are just right before they're here for, to present these two heads. They're talking about this. And they're pretty miffed, you know. As, as they're almost to where Gideon was, they respond the same way you and I would if one of our dudes thoughtlessly posted a picture of a dude weekend at the lake or quick getaway to the beach with the caption my favorite dudes in life you know it it leave you feeling like what the heck am i chopped liver over here i thought i was one of your boys and so they call gideon out and then quickly realizing how thoughtless gideon was with his post uh he tells the Israelite men something. But before we get to that, he realizes how insensitive it came across to the rest of the Ephraimite followers, and he starts backpedaling. He starts smooth-talking. He starts using flattery to take the focus off of their criticism of him. So the first problem with Gideon's post is he is not giving the glory to God for their victory, and that's a big problem. Then Gideon basically tells these Ephraimite men, fellas, listen, you guys just had the ultimate conquest. Compared to you all, our pursuit is child's play. You, you, You might have considered my request rude or maybe even offensive to even ask you guys to continue to join us on this pursuit because, man, you guys, like, you guys have just had the ultimate conquest, and truth be told, you know, these 300 men, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty inferior to you guys, so my post was a way to make them feel important, you know, to butter them up because you guys, you already know that you're important, so my bad, deleting the post now. So Gideon's smooth talk worked, and that was Judges seven twenty four, and brings us up to 8, 3. And this brings us to verse 4 and following, and fellas, this stuff is getting ready to get really bonkers really quick, so buckle up. Now, Gideon and his 300 are exhausted, Scripture tells us. They're exhausted, yet they keep pursuing forward they're exhausted but they keep pursuing forward it doesn't say they're tired it doesn't say other it says they're exhausted they're worn out yet they keep pursuing forward now as a man who at age 48 is still at some level trying to prove my manhood apparently the past four plus years by Getting into this crazy sport of triathlon when I hear, you know, they're exhausted. I'm, I'm tempted to think, well, yeah, big deal. Keep going. Don't quit. Who cares if you got shards of glass in your legs? You don't quit. You keep moving forward. You don't complain about, my tummy hurts. do not matter if you're exhausted. But guys as we're about to see this isn't about having grit this isn't about having some quitting is not an option mentality what we're about to witness this is getting ready to take a turn toward pride and ego and anger and vengeance so Gideon his men they come upon some men and Gideon says hey fellows, can can you please give me give give some loaves of bread for my troops? You know I I have with me. There's there's 301 of us. Um, they're worn out, and I'm hot on the trail of these two dudes known as Zizitop. Their actual names are Zeba and Zalmuna, the kings of Middah, Midian. And instead of just giving Gideon and his men some bread, which it appears that they had plenty of to share with Gideon and his men. Instead of doing that, the leaders say in response to Gideon, you're on on a wild, pointless goose chase that truth be told, we don't think you have the ability to win against the Midianite coalition. You would have no reason to think this, but if we give you and your men some bread and you lose and the Midianite Coalition finds out that we gave you the bread on on their way to fight you, um, that would make us, by default, their enemies and would put us at odds with them. So no, we're not going to give you bread. Um, Run along. Pride, ego, anger, vengeance, wait for it. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, Gideon could have just moved on, even being frustrated. He could have just moved on, but he doesn't. Gideon says as he starts strutting with some swagger, he says, Wrong answer. He said, After I catch and conquer ZZ Top, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to give you a thrashing, not just any beat down. I'm going to teach you a lesson about talking back to me with desert thorns and briars. You're going to wish you had not only given us some bread, then you're going to wish you had sliced it, toasted it, and slapped salted butter all over that bread because we'll be back. Don't you worry. And in verse eight, it says, so Gideon and his men move on to a place called Peniel, <laughs> make the same request and get the same answer again. You can feel this pride, ego, anger, this vengeful spirit starting to flex its muscles and gain steam. In Gideon's spirit, and he doesn't go with the desert thorns and briars answer this time. Instead, he looks behind these men, and he sees this defense tower that was pretty common back in that day that would protect towns, that they could have lookout men, and he looks back there at that, that tower, and he says, hey, check this out. When, when I return and triumph with ZZ Top's heads in my North Face Backpack, he says, I'm going to tear that tower down all the way to the footers. And I'm even going to pull footers out. Like it's coming down. And I'm going to leave your town with their pants pulled down with no protection. So good luck with the no soup for you answer. Now, quick TV timeout. Keep in mind, Gideon's and his men, they're, they're still exhausted, and they're still hungry. Like, that hasn't changed. Okay, so Gideon went up. He sneaks up against this undefended camp. He attacks Zizetop, who were there. They both fled, but Gideon pursued them and captured them. Zizetop's army was devastated. Gideon returned home from the battle, Scripture says. He captured a young man on his journey home. Now, it doesn't say what he said to this young man, but I think it's safe to say based on his recent encounters with these two other groups of men. I believe that in some way, shape, or form, um, he said something or did something or said something and did something to intimidate this young man. Whatever he did, whatever transpired, it says that the young man gave up some really important information in the form of 75 names of their uh, their towns officials and leaders guess guess what names of officials and leaders it says of sucketh the important dudes from the first men who refused gideon bread all right so keep in mind that that's what's going on here pride ego anger Vengeance. Verse fifteen. Gideon makes his way to the men of Succoth, and says, "Oh boys, mm, refresh my memory for a moment. Let's see. You guys, who were you guys? You guys were the guys who refused to give my boys bread out of your excess." In fact, you, s- hmm. you said something along the lines as we were going on a pointless goose chase or something like that. Well, drum roll, please. It's time for show and tell. I present to you two of the best geese in the land, ZZ Top. And oh yeah, by the way, my men are still exhausted, they're still hungry. In fact, it's moved from hungry to hangry, and now you guys are in trouble. So since you didn't hook us up, it's not looking good for you. And then he went to teach, Scripture says he went to teach the elders of the town and the men of Succoth a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. I I had to look this up yesterday yesterday. I don't know if any of us have ever been threatened to be punished with, you know, desert thorns or briars. If so, you definitely come from a different place than I do. But I looked this up. I mean, these were not like the stickers that when you're golfing and lose your ball in the woods with shorts on and you go ah, little prickly stick. That's not what desert thorns and briars are. I mean, these things are vicious. They're wicked. And Scripture tells us that he went on to punish the men of Succoth with these desert thorns and briars. Just a really brutal way to punish them. And he also demolished the defense tower of Peniel and killed the men of that town. Then Gideon, if that's not enough, he just keeps pouring gasoline Uh, He keeps pouring gasoline on his pride, on his ego, on his anger, and on his vengeance, which, quite honestly, all four of those were working in concert together, they usually do. And he talks with ZZ Top. um, For clarity, that's not their names if you haven't figured that out yet, but it's easier than saying those two names that I don't really know. ZZ Top, these two kings, and he asks them, What kind of men did you all kill during battles? What kind of men did you all kill during battles? Um, ZZ Top, those guys, they were known for just, just some really fierce ways when they were in battle. Uh, they had, had just been on, quite honestly, a, a, a murder spree, not just a, a, a battle spree. And it doesn't say here, so I don't know, full disclosure, I don't know if it was them basically um, spitting in Gideon's face, When they say, men like you. Or if it was their way of trying to get on Gideon's good side. uh, Using it as flattery saying, each one like you, like a king's son. Um, Keep in mind, Gideon was not a king, he was a judge. And in verse 18... Uh, it says, implying Gideon has the appearance of a king regardless whichever it was, whether it was taunting or flattery, regardless what it was, Gideon turns to his oldest son who was probably elementary school age at that time and is with him and he says, son, kill those two guys. As a dad of a nine-year-old boy, Grayson, I can't imagine, one, I can't imagine uh, Grayson standing next to me witnessing something that escalates to this point. But I can't imagine Grayson witnessing something of this magnitude and then me putting him into the position where he wants to make me proud because I'm his dad and he looks up to me at age nine but simultaneously he's literally afraid. Talk about an abuse of power, an abuse of a role as a dad, to ask your son to do something that you shouldn't be asking him to do. Verse 21, not that Gideon's pride or ego or anger or vengeance, vengeful spirit needed any more egging on, But ZZ Top basically says to him, do it yourself if you are man enough. You know, I I could argue these two kings were not the sharpest tools in the shed in this moment. But regardless, they say you do it if you're man enough. So Gideon stepped up and killed these two kings. And he then took the jewels off their camel's necks, which I believe in some sort of, is some sort of customary symbol of um, battle victory that was kind of common in that day. But last week, we, we leaned into Judges 7, and Grant uh, gave us a front row seat to an unlikely deliverance, where God sent 22,000 men home leaving only 300 men to fight with the fierce weapons of trumpets and clay jars as their weapons. This week in Judges 8, our title is Bloodthirsty. But honestly, I think it's, it'd be easy for us to read these 21 verses and at a glance, feel like Lloyd Christmas coming out of 7-Eleven saying, hmm, big gulp, huh? All right, see you later. And just glance over chapter 8 and to miss some of the seemingly subtle yet significant changes in Gideon's posture in just one chapter. So that begs the question, what changed? What changed from Chapter 7, God clearing the deck and bringing about this crazy victory that leads Gideon to worship God in response to chapter 8 where it just seems to be a completely different direction. Chapter 7 removed human power so much so that it required Gideon to completely depend on God to show up and bring the victory. God made it super obvious that he brought the victory for the Israelites in chapter 7. 7 verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men... Verse seven, the Lord said to Gideon, "I will save you." This is after he sent twenty-two thousand men home. In verse fourteen, um, God has given the it says God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into His hands. And in verse fifteen, God, Gideon's response to God's power here, he worshipped God. He wasn't strutting off the battle scene. It says. He had a humble posture, and he worshiped God in response to God's movement. That's what's happened in chapter 7. In chapter 8, God's presence and power, and I encourage you to actually read the 21 verses together, but it's hard to even see a glimpse of God being mentioned in chapter 8. In fact, the focus turns from God to Gideon in verse 2 of chapter 8, What is Gideon's words. What have I accomplished? In verse 3, what was I able to do? In verse 4, give my troops. They are worn out, and I am still pursuing. Verse 7, just for that, I will tear off your flesh, or tear your flesh. Verse 9, when I return in triumph... I will tear down this tower. Verse 16, he, Gideon, took the elders. Verse 17, he pulled down. He killed the men. Verse 19, those were my brothers, sons of my mother. Verse 21, so Gideon stepped forward and killed them. Do you you see the change from chapter 7 to chapter 8? God movement to the focus of Look what I have done and am doing. In chapter 7, Gideon blew God's trumpet. But in chapter 8, we see he starts tooting his own horn. Big difference. In chapter 7, Gideon went from moving in God's power to, in chapter 8, moving in his own power. In chapter 7, Gideon's men were pumped. In chapter 8... They were exhausted. In chapter 7, Gideon was confident yet humble. In chapter 8, he let pride, ego, anger, and a vengeful spirit take over. In chapter 7, Gideon was following the Lord's command. In chapter 8, instead of giving God glory and credit, Gideon doesn't even mention God. He focuses on being a smooth talker and getting his revenge. See, when God moves the only response is one of three responses really to respond with only god or praise god or to god be the glory when god moves when god moves not did he move like when god moves when his power is obvious and evident which if we watch for it it's all around us and he's waiting for, for access to that. But it's beyond ridiculous to respond, only me could pull that. No, it's only God. Praise God, to God be the glory. God's ways move us to freedom. Our ways move us to the bondage of slavery. And in many ways, I can relate to getting in chapter 8 quite well and it's frustrating i have seen god's movement in 48 years of living many many times many many times to where only god is the only appropriate response but if i'm not careful i can blink once and all of a sudden start living in a chapter 8 posture and focusing on pride, operating out of pride, and ego, and anger, and a vengeful spirit. I remember six years ago, um, I stepped into it here at Southeast with another staff member. And I was right, and I was wrong at the same time. And I remember, um, it, it, it takes a lot to make me angry, When I get angry, I have to be careful what I say, because even if it's true, it probably doesn't need to be said. And I mean, my teeth were clenched. My hands had white knuckles on them. I was ready to start throwing. Pretty sure the staff member was ready to start throwing as well. I mean, we were at odds with each other. And I felt my pride and ego, it was at a cap level. And I remember, I remember going home and talking to Tish and telling her, um, I said, I, I'm either going to get fired or quit. I'm not sure which is going to happen first. And, and I'm not being silly here, guys. And I remember for three days, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm beyond ticked off. And I, I'm just not in a good spot. And my pride and my ego, and quite honestly, my anger and my vengeful spirit was hovering high. God, through his grace, politely tapped me on the shoulder and said, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. For three days... I was sweeping that off my shoulder because I didn't want to hear it because I was ticked off. After day three, I woke up, and I'm grateful for that tap. And I went to this guy, and I said, I was wrong for doing this. I was being divisive. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I can tell you that... As quick as I just snapped my finger, it insta- the posture instantly changed. The tone instantly changed. And we went from being in corners in a room to being on the same page and pursuing unity together. And I can tell you today, um, God has completely reconciled that relationship. Praise God. And we're actually closer than we were prior to that moment. That's how God's math desires to work. Proverbs 16 2 says all a man's ways seem innocent to him but motives are weighed by the Lord in many ways chapter 7 to chapter 8 is a clear picture of our need for Jesus to be both our Savior and our Lord everyone wants a Savior when we're in a tough spot, when 22,000 men are sent home and you're left with only 300 men, some trumpets and clay jars, and it's not looking good. We all want a Savior when life happens and it's out of our control. But then when life starts happening and you start drifting away from putting your weight all on Jesus and start putting it all on yourself for you to be the hero, for you to make it happen... Well, life starts getting complicated and exhausting really quick. And when I step back and I look at the story, I was just telling Grant backstage a little bit ago, I was like, man, I can read a story in the Bible and think, man, what a knucklehead! And miss the fact that, you know, the only difference between this knucklehead and me is that my details aren't written in the Bible, um, at least by name. And it just screams, chapter 8 screams for our need for a Savior and a Lord, just like Gideon. And God is such a good and gracious God. Even when Gideon started pursuing his own pride and ego and anger and vengeance, God still, through his grace, blessed Israel for the next, like, 40 years in spite of Gideon's pride that was displayed here. Similarly, in spite of God knowing that you and I will follow this same sin cycle and constantly struggle with our own sin nature, as, as Chris Burke said last year at one point, he says, you know, you know what men with sinful natures do? We sin, right? So we're, we're always going to have that natural bent towards sinning because of a sin nature, but even in our worst moments, knowing what our worst moments would be 2000 years ago he sent he chose to send Jesus here to earth for two reasons one to model for us how to live with all of our weight on god and he also chose to die on a cross in our place so that even when we're guilty of sins we're free men because of Jesus Scripture says that Jesus was tempted like us in every way, yet Jesus always chose surrendered obedience over what his flesh wanted. He always chose to glorify his Father God. He offers all of us who are exhausted to come to him, and he will give us rest. Jesus has won the ultimate victory in him. We don't need to operate out of our pride and ego and anger and vengeance, which are all normal byproducts of our society trying to force us as men over time into this state of numbness and apathy and screw it, what's the point? And if we're not careful, our, our hearts get hard, start getting hard in subtle ways, and we stop putting our weight on God and on ourselves. And if we're not careful, we wake up and we're exhausted. Not exhausted like, hey, I need eight hours sleep tonight or a good nap. Exhausted because it's like like I'm trying to play a role that only God was intended to play in my life. Every time, it leads to exhaustion. Every time we put all of our weight on Jesus and are dependent on him showing up and doing what only he can do it always leads to a posture of worship he offers all of us rest he has won the ultimate victory and in him we don't need to operate out of our pride ego anger and vengeful spirits anymore because no matter what has happened to you in your past or no matter what happens to you as Ephesians 2:14 says clearly Jesus, he is our peace. Jesus is the ultimate judge, and Gideon helps us appreciate our Lord all of the more. And so, fellas, this morning, as a table, as a group of men, I want you to focus on each of you answering two questions. I want all of us to answer the question how are you winning with intentionally pursuing God? God's leading in your life. Give one specific example and why it's important for us to start on that. Table leaders, reminder to all of us, like we need to make sure that we protect our groups from becoming we suck groups, right? Yes, we want to be honest and authentic, but we also need to celebrate progress and we do make progress here in this room, so let's focus on celebrating that. But then there's question two, three, and four. And for time purposes, I'm going to ask each of your table, choose which one you're going to answer one plus two three or four let me pray i'll turn it over to you guys father we thank you that your truth of scripture is always relevant even the passages that feel like are out of date or or not applicable to us father even in those obscure passages you still show up and you still remind us of our need to put all of our weight on you as Savior, but also the reminder that us accepting you as Savior and Lord and being baptized does not put some force field around our egos and our pride and our anger and our vengeance that can well up in us. That pursuing you as Lord, Father, we need your help every moment of every day to die to ourselves. And keep our weight on you. So Father this morning. Whatever we came in here with. That quite honestly has brought us to exhaustion. I pray that we would confess it. I pray for courage for men to confess it. To, to trust the men at their table. To walk alongside of them. And to hold them accountable. To make sure that um, we leave here with a proper perspective and a proper weight disbursement and perspective on you. So, Father, we thank you that you are the God who is victorious. And so, Father, I pray that you would remind these men in this room of what is the truest thing about them. And I pray that you would move in this room to where we would leave with a posture of worship because of how great you are and how powerful you are and how gracious you are. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace. Pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, men.